Welcome to the Cybertraps podcast. I am Jethro Jones coming to you from Washington, host of the podcast Transformative Principle and author of the book School X, How to Redesign Your School for the People Right in Front of You. I am a former principal at all levels of K-12 education. Greetings, everyone. I'm Frederick Blaine, an author, attorney, and educational consultant temporarily based in East Hampton, New York. I'm the author of 10 books, including most recently, Cybertraps for Educators 2.0, Raising Cyberethical Kids, and Cybertraps for Expecting Moms and Dads. Jethro and I have teamed up to bring timely, entertaining, and useful information to teachers, parents, and others about the risks arising from the use and misuse of digital devices. Over the coming weeks and months, we'll be talking to some of the world's leading experts from the fields of education, parenting, sociology, and cyber safety. Join us as we look at what it takes to better navigate our increasingly high-tech world. For more information or to donate to our work, please visit centerforcyberethics.org. The Center, <laughs> the Center for Cyberethics is the producer of the Cybertraps podcast, although it's really just the two of us eating chat. <laughs> in any case, the Center for Cyber Ethics is an independent, nonpartisan educational institute dedicated to the study and promotion of cyber ethics as a positive social force through research, curricular development, publishing and media, professional training, and public advocacy. Well, this episode and the next few episodes of the podcast are going to be about our time in at the PPI conference in Boise, Idaho. So as we are chatting here, I hope you enjoy it and enjoy the uh, people that we were able to talk with. This was the Professional Practices Institute put on by the National Association of State Directors of Teacher and Educator Certification. And this is a similar um, conference that Fred and I went to last year in Oklahoma City as well. So Hope you enjoy this and the following episodes that are going to be like it. Since we were recording in a public place, there are some times where the background noise gets a little much, but hopefully we've done enough to take care of that and it's not too annoying. And uh, thanks for your patience with that. Yes, your name and how to spell it and all that. My name is Jen Corey, J-E-N-N. C-O-R-R-Y. And your role? <laughs> My role, a previous school district teacher. Okay. District administrator, retired. Oh. And now I work for the, uh, what's called the Arizona School Risk Retention Trust. Okay. Which is the insurance company for all but three public school districts in the state of Arizona. Okay. And because it's a pool... They focus a lot on prevention, so yeah. I work in the emergency management department. And that's what uh, um, Scott Tennant is in a truck uh, insurance trust, also. Yes, right? in New Jersey. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, we'll introduce you guys. You really should meet because he's been doing this work for a long time. Okay. Um, but on the East Coast, <laughs> so <yeah. laughs> because the two can meet. Right. So, in the in the general course of your work, Jen, what kinds of issues do you see arising? Uh, what kinds of things are you dealing with? Well, from the time, probably since social media kicked in and technology um, kicked in, you see a rise in the tools, the uses, the manipulation of how both students and predators 
for lack of a better term, um, use it to their advantage to have their goals met, their needs met. Hmm. And do you feel, given your experience, that these social media tools and, and uh, digital devices has made it easier for predators? Oh, goodness, yes. Um, and specifically how? The secrecy, the ability to, um, those of us of a different generation aren't kept up, never, ever, since it all came out. I remember even being in the classroom when there was a technology computer issue, you called a student over. <laughs> to yeah. fix it of course because right. they knew it better than what we you know um and so they kept up with it much much more and so they are much wiser than any of us um anybody older um they know how to work it and get um get behind it to hide um things so you don't see what they're seeing um, so if i understand correctly what you're saying essentially is that a predator can use that technology because they understand it better than somebody who could try to catch them and manipulate and take advantage of and groom uh, kids without somebody knowing and kids naturally want to hide that stuff from their parents anyway right because yeah. of their age mm -hmm. because of who they are you have to realize developmentally that uh, you know come junior high seventh eighth grade even sixth and fifth grade they start separating from their parents mm -hmm. and so they look to their peers for approval and eventually then the teacher's always right. Didn't you hate that when your kid yeah. came home and yeah. no, you're wrong, my teacher said this. Yeah. And so they look for other adults and you probably do it yourself in your own families a lot of times where you look and you say, maybe if so-and-so tells you this, then you'll believe them mm -hmm. because they're not gonna believe their parents at that age. So looking for that outside. Yeah. It, it's funny I had a situation like this with my own kids just a couple of weeks ago we were trying to get my daughter to do something and she just kept pushing back pushing back pushing back and then our neighbor across the street suggested it and she's like that's a great idea I should totally do that and my wife and I are like okay we're just gonna feed uh -huh. information to the neighbor uh -huh. and she can tell my daughter uh -huh. what to do because she'll actually listen right. to her yeah right. it's and funny so how that it's works. that natural transition to other adults at that mm -hmm. point so when you look at someone who's looking to groom a child they're looking that child is already at a certain age starting to look to other adults as their validation mm -hmm. for their approval and you also have natural biological development that's occurring mm -hmm. in this same range. Right. So that's a factor that's feeding into how the kid responds. Right. You know, that's part of mm -hmm. pushing away from the parents, right. also mm -hmm. looking externally. Mm -hmm. But that creates a very powerful tool for someone who is trying to take right. advantage of someone. Mm -hmm. And then when you pull in technology, that's a way that I can hide things from my parents, mm. from my siblings. So that's why there's always, you know, they so you were saying something about um, it, because the technology it's now become easier. Is that right? To hide. To hide. Yes. To hide. To break those ties with your family and with your parents and any older siblings mm -hmm. who would know something's not okay. Um, you can sneak it so much easier as a child as you're separating. Now I can do that. Back in the day when we had phones, you know, they were all in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. Well, this is a drum I've been beating <laughs> right. for a long time. So, has, so it was a true. very right. public conversation that right. you would and, have with anyone. Right. And, and the most significant thing is that nobody would call after 9 o'clock. Right. Exactly. And, and now because these kids have the devices in their 
beds. Until one in the morning, two it's, in the morning. Right. They're and, having conversations. And this feeds into my mm -hmm. argument with a lot of this, that there's a surprising intimacy mm -hmm. to electronic devices. I think the, the mythology mm -hmm. is that that they push us apart. But in situations like this, I think they're actually very intimate. The speed, the one-to-one -one engagement, the timing. Yep, instantaneous. When it used to be that you would, when you were gonna make a decision as a teenager, you would sit at the kitchen table, you would think about it, you might, um, you know, process it a little bit. Now I'm gonna think I'm gonna do something, what do I do? I pick up my phone and I text my friend immediately. Mm -hmm. And I get feedback immediately. There's no delay in decision making. Yeah, that's a really interesting perspective, Jen, that a lot of people um, haven't, I don't think really thought about, but having that delay, in, I know you have Fred, <laughs> I know. But that's, that's an interesting way of thinking about it, that it's, it's about not having time to mm -hmm. talk yourself out of doing something stupid. Right. right. And in the past, we had plenty of time mm -hmm. to do that. And and the nature of how we interacted and how we lived mm -hmm. made it difficult to make those decisions so quickly. Right. Right. Taking you think of the students or the children who, you know, you talk about the naked photos of themselves or suggestive photos mm -hmm. even that they're willing to go ahead and send. If it was back in the day and you had a camera and mm -hmm. you had to develop the film all of that is not only other people then realizing what you're doing, but also that time delay before you hand it off to someone. Mm -hmm. I've often argued that the, the slippery slope with all of this stuff really started with the Polaroid. You know, the <laughs> fact that you didn't actually have to take it and get it, yeah. developed. Get it developed. On the other hand, those film packs were not cheap, so kids were not going out right. and routinely yeah. Polaroiding themselves. Right. You know, so I, I think you're offering us a great transition because you mm -hmm. and I just met actually right. about two hours ago. Um, and we were sitting at a table for one of the sessions here at PPI. So we're in Boise, Idaho. Yeah. Shout out to NASDAQ. <laughs> Indeed, and Professional Practices Institute. And their first general session brought in a young woman who was mm -hmm. a victim of a grooming uh, process by a teacher in Mesa, Arizona. Mm -hmm. And she and her dad actually helped to present along with the investigator who really broke the case open. So given your experience and what we've been mm -hmm. talking about, I'd love to get your reaction to that presentation. You know, what, what do you think, the, what, do you think it was valuable and do you think that it offered some useful information to investigators in the room? I, being a former educator, teacher in the classroom and at the I had it was very hard to listen to that and um, have what was shared as where things were either handled with deliberate indifference mm -hmm. it appears um, and I will always say that it appears because we have one side of the story um, but also the lack of validity when you listen to her story you listen to all the different points where somebody could have stepped in whether it's a teacher and when you listen to how she told it there were a lot of times when she was looking for is this right or wrong not even for them to tell or secretly have somebody step in necessarily as much as hmm let me think about this let me get your reaction does this seem okay to you as an adult because she's growing Right. She's not fully developed. She doesn't right. really 
necessarily appreciate. She knew it was wrong. At some level, she got to a point where she knew it was wrong because she hid it from her parents. She's telling them lies. She's misleading them. Right. So at some point, she knew it went wrong when you start hiding things. So watching her and listening to her and then that, that need for validation, and he did a classic job of grooming. Took his time. Um, as she learned last night was, you know, you go from making sure the community's good to, with you, making sure the family's good with you, and then move in. That, to me, was the most brilliant uh-huh. statement of the whole presentation, that, that a grooming process doesn't begin with the student and work outward. Right. It's the reverse. Yeah. It begins with mm-hmm. the larger school community, as you say, and then tunnels down. It funnels down, and it's building that trust at that level with the school and the community at large and then working their way down. Which is where the hidden part of Mm -hmm. social media comes Comes into play because it doesn't contradict that public persona Mm -hmm. that the teacher is building up. Correct. So they can get away with sending inappropriate images or comments or texts to an individual because their bigger picture makes them still look like they are great and they can explain that away somehow. That's where, yes, because people want to believe the good in others. There's that premise of, I trust you. I know you, I've known you for years. You've always been a good person. So that text doesn't mean this, it means that and justification of it. That's where it's that, you know, um, not intentional deliberate indifference, but that that I want to, I, I don't want to believe that, that reconciliation of what I know, I think I know to be true mm-hmm. with what it really is. When they also said she talked about having an objective person look at it right. and having that investigator look at it from the outside. Right. That is so key because you read the text, you read the things, and you will see it so much differently when you are objective when you're outside that conflict of interest that's really fascinating and and as Jethro Mm -hmm. knows full well because we've talked a lot about it that I'm in the midst of doing this book the rise of the digital mob and trying to understand Mm -hmm. the impact that digital communication technology Mm -hmm. has had on our political system our social structure all the rest and a key piece of that you know when people talk about Mm -hmm. why can't people on either side get out of their bubble it's because the bubble reinforces what they want to sure. believe. Mm-hmm. And I think in mm-hmm. school communities, if you've got a well-functioning, apparently, staff, you don't want to believe that someone you work side by side with. Has violated that trust. Exactly. Yeah. And that faith that you had in them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it also takes the other side of that digital mob that, in her case, correct me if I'm wrong because I didn't hear the whole thing, but it sounded like there were people coming out of the woodwork to say, leave this guy alone, don't be doing this because he's a great guy. Such a common reaction. Don't rock my world. Yeah, and and they believed that they got into this mob Mm -hmm. mentality of this person is good and supporting that, and then they start sharing on social media themselves and sharing why this person's good and how this is wrong, that they're being, you know, like a witch hunt, basically, Mm -hmm. when... Oh, and the kids get trashed sometimes mm-hmm. because yeah. of, I mean, that mob aspect. Mm-hmm. And it's one thing if it's a popular teacher. Lord help you if it's a popular coach. Right. Because then all bets are off. Well, then you have parents, more parent involvement. When right. it's a coach or a band teacher right. or someone who has access and support from 
a parent group. And parents remember who elects your school board, who <laughs> pay right, the taxes. Who, who pay, that's right. It's all about that parent community and keeping them mm-hmm. also happy. Yeah. Very so complex. One thing that I thought was really interesting that she said also, um, which is something that we've talked about a lot, is that she said from a victim perspective, there's no reason that a teacher should ever have direct one-on-one communication with a student through virtual technology. And I thought that was really fascinating that she said that because not everybody takes as hard a stance on that. And even people who have been exposed to this and know that it goes on say things like, well, it's the coach, it's okay, or it's the teacher, it's okay, and they're in a trusted position, therefore we should trust them and allow them to do this when that's not the right answer either. Well, I actually, when I started doing all of this Mm -hmm. work, Jen, was very much of Tiffany's mind. Mm -hmm. And over the years, I've adapted it a little bit in that there are necessary reasons for... Communication. Right. But you can... There are so many tools available these days for group communication or Mm multi-party communication. The solution, you know, Tiffany will get a little Mm -hmm. older and maybe think this through, Mm -hmm. but the solution is to make sure there's at least another adult in the communication. In that conversation. And that's, if you equate it to I'm in a classroom or a room with a student alone, that one-to-one text between the two is them being alone in a room with the curtain pulled what down it, over right, the window with the door yeah. shut yeah so what do we tell yeah. staff always don't we say you leave the door open yeah. don't be alone with a student and that's true it should be on that communication tool that we use that's a great analogy yeah. i like that well I the, borrow that happily yeah. <laughs> take it and run well the other thing about that is that if you are alone in a classroom um mm-hmm. at school in the place where you're supposed to be you know you can it's not the end of the world for that to happen, but, but you have the door open to put a mm-hmm. safeguard in place, right? And so I've been alone in the classroom with many students mm-hmm. just by nature of being a teacher. That's right. just what happens. It happens. As a principal, I was in the office alone many times with students, right. but I always tried to do things that made mm-hmm. it look or appear that it, anybody could walk in at any moment, and that's totally fine. That's right. So having some transparency, having some mm-hmm. processes in place to make sure that it was clear what I was, that I was doing things Mm -hmm. right. And so one of the ways to do that with technology is to use school approved email, for example, or messaging tools that the district has provided, which is incumbent on them to provide the Mm -hmm. opportunity for people to have those tools so that they can actually follow that advice. Yep. Well, let me ask you this as we wrap this Mm -hmm. up. Is there anything from a risk management perspective that you'd like people to think about? You can never be safe enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's pretty much that's the yeah. title of this show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's from a risk management standpoint. Don't put yourself. Never hug a student. Never do. You know. Never be on a text alone with a student. Never use a tool that's outside what the school has approved for you oh, to that's use. That's so key, right there. Um, yeah. I, I mean, every time, and like you said, that mitigating you want to mitigate. And so, does that mean that I would never hug a student? I can't say that I would never hug a student. Um, Part of the reason why you get into the profession is that. um, Do you take a chance? You take a risk every time you do. And part of that is knowing what what could come of it. So from a risk management standpoint, yeah, never 
do anything. Well, and, and again, there's gradations <laughs> yep. to all of this, it right? Is. So if you hug a third grader in the cafeteria, right. that's different than hugging a 17-year-old behind the stands. <laughs> Intent. Right. What is the purpose right. of it? And you can still, though, as a teacher or a staff member, have the best intent, but it can be misinterpreted. And, and I will say there's two things about technology that play into mm -hmm. that, which is that it is much, much easier for things to go sideways yep. with technology because there's that mm -hmm. intimacy, et cetera. And then the other thing, too, is that you're creating a record. That's, you know, Tiffany was a little off base with mm -hmm. some of the things she was talking about in mm -hmm. terms of, you know, the durability of evidence. It's vastly more durable than I think the, it used to be. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, it's, you know, it depends on what you're using and how you're using mm -hmm. it. But, but that being said, so many teachers are in jail because they've been using digital mm -hmm. technology to communicate. But I'm okay with that if they did uh, it this wrong. This is not a complaint. Yeah. <laughs> no, this is an observation. <laughs> well, and I it's think this is... that you got caught. Be yeah. that stupid. Yeah. yeah. Well, the thing is, is like from a student perspective or a child perspective, if, some, if you can't find something on your phone, you think that it's gone. And, Correct. And that's an understandable thing for a young man or young woman mm -hmm. to think, right? And so for, from her perspective, not knowing what you obviously know about technology... It, she may think this has gone forever there's nothing that I can do whereas you know there are ways for you to get at that stuff yeah. be, because mm -hmm. you understand how the technology works and what's there and you know I, I think that for I think it's important for kids to understand that one of the things that I always talk about with kids is uh, once you put it anywhere in something digital it can never be deleted <laughs> so <laughs> so it's, don't don't right. I mean I take that other opposite end of it can't be deleted, it's going to come back at mm -hmm. some point. So be aware when you're taking pictures, when you're sending things, like once it's out of your hands, the copy ability, the duplication ability, the shareability, you've got no control. I would say that is 95% mm -hmm. correct, and I'm not gonna yep. get yeah. you to back off your rule, the, but. <laughs> the computer forensics guy will mm -hmm. say it's 95% correct. <laughs> and, and, you know, again, without any recommendation from this show, you know, there are things like bodies of water and wood chippers and so forth. So data can go away, but it's really hard to do, and it yeah. would be super foolish to base your career on the idea that you can make it go right. Yes, exactly. So that is the closing mm -hmm. message yeah. from us, I think. Jen, this has been delightful. Thank yeah, you for thank coming, you. talking with us. Thank you.